Good morning. So I'll make our way to our seats. Let's worship God this morning. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Uh, good morning, church. It seems like our numbers are growing. There seems to be a lot more people here this morning than than when we first started meeting back together, so it's good to see that. Uh, I started my morning by having breakfast with Afton. The things that you learn from children, it's pretty funny, I gotta tell you. You hear a lot of good stories. But hey, I, I wanna encourage you here this morning. Uh, we are getting ready to praise God. You know, if you read uh, the last five books of Psalms, all start with praise God. And then there's a long list of things that, you know, encouraging words of praising God. And that's what we've come together this morning to do, and to praise God. And I want to encourage you to do so. I encourage you to lift up your voices. I encourage you to listen intently and just enjoy the time together this morning, okay? This is precious time for us as Christians. And so I want to encourage you just to get involved in the worship this morning, okay? Uh, I'm going to start us out with a... Uh, a prayer, and uh, then we'll get back into worship time. But 
I, I want to say it's good to see as many folks here this morning as we see. It's encouraging to me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning, this opportunity that you've given us to gather together as a family. Father, I hope that we take advantage of this time that we have together today. Father, help us in our song service. Help us to lift our voice. Help us to sing out and to uh, just to praise you during this time. Father, help us to listen intently to what Kyle has to spring to us this morning. Help us, Father, to take this encouragement through the week. Help us to reflect on it. Help us to uh, give us strength so that we may better serve you through this week. But during this next hour, Father, I just want to encourage every person here and everybody that's watching just to enjoy this time of worship, just to sing intently and to listen intently. And these things, Father, we ask in your son's name. Amen.
Let's stand if you're able for this next song. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're Crucified, laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're Crucified, laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above Good morning. We're going to be reading from Luke 9, verse 18 through 36 in the NIV. 
Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and the disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then Jesus said to them, All whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet to lose or forfeit their very self? Who has ever ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here with, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. And he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor, talking. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, who I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone all that time what they had seen. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. It is good to see you all here this morning. It's very encouraging to see our numbers growing. And uh, I know we're wearing masks and we're distancing, but please take the time to connect with one another. Take the time to make those phone calls to people who maybe can't attend in person with us right now and just make sure that we're looking out for one another. We're doing this series called The Fullness of God as we lead up to Easter and we're looking at different stories in which Jesus displays the fullness of God in some way. And I want to start this morning by thinking about Jesus' power. There's a really amazing quote of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And I just want to start with this, this word from Jesus here. He says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's a powerful statement, I think. 
Let's pray as we begin. Father God, as we come before you and we open up your word to learn from it, we're reminded of the power that Jesus displayed and how that power demonstrated your glory and how he used it in ways that reflects your character. And this morning as we think about who Jesus is, that he is the first and the last, that he is alive forevermore, God, may we be moved to follow him and to be like him. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, Jesus' power is an image that we see sometimes uh, throughout the New Testament, but there's several different images that we see of Jesus. And we think about who Jesus is. I want to start off by making you think about what image comes to mind. Perhaps two that come to mind are here. And I, I picked at least the first one on the left because it's almost kind of comical to see Jesus holding this uh, baby lamb. I don't recall a time in, in the Gospels where Jesus picked up a baby lamb, but I think we can see his compassionate side, that he is a shepherd. Maybe when you think about Jesus, you, you view the image on the right. You jump straight to the cross and, and the, the sacrifice that that showed. And both of these images, I think, are, are powerful, but they don't always display Jesus' power in some of the ways that we witness in the Gospels. And I, I want us this morning to not forget that Jesus had power and that he used it well and that people were able to see his power in many different ways. And so this morning we're going to be looking at an event called the Transfiguration. And it's called that because of one of the words that's used here. Um, basically means to to change, to be transformed. And, you know, this is a moment before Jesus uh, really begins his, his final journey to the cross. And it's a very mysterious scene. Uh, I chose a few pictures or paintings uh, of people depicting this scene. This is one, I don't know if you can tell uh, what it looks like very well. It's already kind of meant to be kind of a lower quality um, style, but it's also just a lower quality image, but a very interesting image of this shining light, this person who's radiant, and there's two others beside him, and you, if you look at the bottom, you can see the three apostles there, and they're in awe. This is a powerful scene, I think. These are two others uh, that just kind of stood out to me, different styles, but you get this image of Jesus's radiance as David read before us before uh, a moment ago and so this is kind of a story in scripture that has often been a, a mystery even to, to scholars to try to wonder what's going on here why did this event take place what's what's being portrayed here and so I want to I want to look at that but in order to do that I want us to back up a little bit uh, instead of starting just uh, with the transfiguration event itself, I want to go back to where David read, starting in Luke 9, verse 18. Uh, and I'm going to just go ahead and read it again. Uh, but again, just keep your Bibles open to Luke 9. So once when Jesus was praying by himself and his disciples were nearby, he asked them, 
who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others still that one of the prophets of long ago has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. But he strongly commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So, it's really interesting that Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? You know, a lot of, especially if you look at the Gospel of Mark, a lot of the Gospels are concerned about Jesus' identity, and who people assume him to be. And so here, just right out, he asks his disciples, who do you say, or who do people think that I am? And of course, they list off some of the things that they've been hearing. John the Baptist, Elijah, or another prophet that's been risen. And then he asks them a more personal question. He says, who do you think that I am? And this is a moment where Peter steps up, one of Jesus's more famous apostles, I guess you could say, and he makes this great proclamation. He says, you are the Messiah of God. You are the anointed one. And this is an amazing revelation of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. He is the one who is supposed to save not just Israel, but all creation. And uh, of course, Luke leaves this out, but then, you know, Peter kind of, get, uh, he sticks his foot in his mouth later on, because right after that, right after this great proclamation of, of Peter saying who Jesus is, and he's, he's not wrong, he's correct here, right after that, Jesus tells them that he's going to suffer many things, that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be killed, and that he is going to be risen and it's it's so interesting that right after that jesus tells them this it's it's almost like jesus is saying yes peter you're right and i'm going to suffer i'm going to be rejected and i'm going to die but i'm going to raise as well and what's interesting is that this is probably not the answer they were expecting right they were not expecting god's messiah to be rejected, to be put on trial, to be tortured, to be killed. This is not what the Messiah was supposed to look like. What kind of Savior is going to end in suffering and rejection and death? You know, I've been reading through, uh, I finally finished the Old Testament on my like 90-day Bible reading plan. And, man, that was a long haul. But one thing you see over and over again are leaders rise and fall. Leaders rise to power, and they're rejected, or they rise to power, and they turn away from God, and God rejects them. And so Israel's hoping for a leader that's not going to be rejected, a leader who's not worthy of being rejected, a leader who, who's worthy of being followed, not a leader who's going to die um, at the hands of Israel's own present day or current day leaders at that time. 
But Jesus doesn't stop here. So he, he gives them this prediction of his own death. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on to talk about what that really means for them and for us as well. So he continues on saying, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to, to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it profit a person if he gains the whole world, but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Hold on to that word glory here for a moment. But I tell you most certainly, there are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the kingdom of God. So two uh, important things right there at the end that we'll see a little later is that word glory and this idea that some will not experience death before they see the kingdom of God. Again, already kind of puzzling and mysterious language. But I want to jump back to, to the beginning. So Peter has just claimed that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He is the one who is to come to redeem Israel. And Jesus says, if that's true, if you believe that, here's what you have to do. If you want to follow after me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. For if you want to lose your, or if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life because of me, you will find it. So Jesus has just predicted his death, and now he tells his followers that if you want to follow me, that you need to be rejected yourself, you need to deny yourself, you need to take up your cross, and you need to follow me. I've also, I found it interesting, you know, when you compare the Gospels and where they place these these stories, because several of them have these death predictions, as they're called, of Jesus, you know, predicting his own death. As far as I can tell, Jesus hasn't said anything about a cross yet, up until now. And so again, like, we know the end of the story, we know that that's where he's headed, but put yourself in the shoes of the apostles here. Jesus has just been, you know, again, he's been uh, identified as the Messiah, and then he says, but I'm going to die. And then he tells his apostles, oh, and by the way, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. So you can kind of see what Jesus is doing here. He's telling his apostles that he's going to die and that if they want to follow him, that they might die too and die by this cross, which they would have known what that was. They, they would have been very familiar with crucifixion in the first century. But Jesus says something that they probably won't understand until later, that if you want to save your life, you, you must lose it. We can see that in, in the apostles' writings later on, especially in Paul. And he says that you should not be ashamed, for the Son of Man is going to come in glory. So Peter's just confessed Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus has predicted his death. He's told his apostles that if you want to follow me, you must take up your, your cross 
You must deny yourself. And then we get to this story eight days later. Eight days later, Jesus goes up on a mountain. And if you remember, I think the last time or two that I preached, you have to notice that every time Jesus goes up on a mountain, something important is probably going to happen. Anytime, pretty much anyone in the Bible goes up on the mountain, something important is about to happen. And notice that Jesus only takes the three uh, inner circle, if you will, of his, of his apostles, Peter, John, and James. And so they go up to the mountain to pray together. And um, as they're up there, this event happens. It says, as he was praying, the appearance, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were quite sleepy, but as they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, I just have, I don't know if you're like me, but I just have so many questions from this story. Why, why does his face become radiant and he becomes basically this bright, white to light, like, like that um, image that painting showed. Uh, I also kind of want to know, how did they know that those two guys were Moses and Elijah? I mean, they didn't have Polaroids back then or, you know, digital cameras, but they knew somehow, they knew that that was Moses and Elijah. And, you know, where did they come from? What's all this supposed to mean? We can already see, you know, Jesus was just talking about glory. And I, if I was to, to think about one word that really sums up this entire picture, it's the word glory or radiance. So uh, this also, I think, would not be super new to them, although I'm sure they would have been shocked. There are other times in, in Scripture where uh, prophets received visions and they saw something similar. Uh, for example, I was reading in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27, he sees this vision of a man who's basically like on fire, and half of his body is just very radiant. And, you know, it's, it's like he's struggling to find the exact words to describe what he's seeing. And I feel like that's what this is as well. And so they've I, they would have been familiar, I think, with, with this, um, but to see it in person, I'm sure it would have been just the most amazing thing to witness. But why? What's going on? Why are Moses and Elijah there? First of all, I think it's interesting to note that the people were saying, oh, this man Jesus, he must be Elijah, like reincarnated or something, Re. Um, rebirthed or uh, appearing again on earth. Well, we know from this story that Jesus is not Elijah. Jesus is greater than Elijah because Elijah's standing right next to him here. Jesus isn't Moses. He's not one of the prophets of old. He's something better. 
And it's, it's interesting to see that Moses and Elijah are the two there, two people that really sum up entire sections of, of the Old Testament. I mean, Moses is like uh, the, the poster person of the law, following God's law. He was the one that gave the people God's law. And Elijah, uh, I mean, he was one of the, the first major prophets that many others followed after him. He was the one who communicated to the people on behalf of God and showed them the way. And so you've got these two people that symbolize these really uh, important things like the law and the prophets, and they're confirming who Jesus is. Notice that they're standing there, they're talking to him, and what do you see that they're talking to him about? They're talking to him about his departure that's about to happen in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure if that specifically means his death or his ascension, but it's obviously something that the apostles were not expecting. It could be the very thing that Jesus just told them about. And so, as we keep reading, Peter, again, has one of his brilliant moments, and, you know, they... Uh, it, it goes on to say that then as the men were standing there starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here, which I think he was pretty proud that he got to be there and see that. Let us make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. I love that Luke added that in there. As he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid and and as they entered the cloud, then a voice came from heaven saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at the time of what they had seen. So Peter has this brilliant moment. He's like, Oh, okay, this is it. It's finally happening. We're up on a mountain. Jesus is radiant white. This must be the moment that we've been waiting for. Let's build some little mini tabernacles. Let's, let's get this thing rolling. I know he had just talked about his death, but you know he was probably misguided. This has got to be the moment where we overthrow the Romans. Israel's back on top. God is pleased with us again. This has got to be the moment. And he wants to draw it out. He wants to celebrate. You, you kind of see the, this reference to the festival of, of booths or tabernacles, a symbolic time of God dwelling with his people. And I think Peter had good intentions, but like Luke says, they were kind of misguided. He didn't know exactly what he was talking about. He missed the point of what Jesus had told him previously, that this isn't the moment, Peter. This is an important moment, but this isn't the moment. And then we, we hear God the Father speak through the cloud. And I think we see a very similar scene to something we saw very early in Jesus' ministry, or really right before his ministry, and that's his baptism. We see, again, the, the heavens open up, the Spirit descending like a dove, and we hear God say, basically the same thing. This is my son whom I love. But here he adds, listen to him. 
And I said, if there was one word that encapsulated this moment, it would be glory. And if I think there was one word that really told us who Jesus was from this, it's the word authority or power. That Jesus had authority, that he had things to say, and that God in this moment, along with Moses and Elijah, are acknowledging that. And they're saying, listen to him. He has the authority. He is the way. So who was this moment for? And why did only three of the apostles get to witness it? I want to talk more about this idea of glory and authority. I'm just going to skip this slide. So in this, in this scene, we see that Jesus is reflecting the glory of God. And so this is one reason why, again, in this story, we get to see this picture of the fullness of God. That before Jesus' crucifixion, before he's rejected, he is exalted up on this mountain. We get this almost heavenly glimpse. It really is some kind of heavenly glimpse of Jesus. He, he changes And so we see this glorious scene, and it's like a picture of who Jesus was before he started this whole journey, before he humbled himself, before he took on the appearance of a human, before he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's interesting that the apostles, at least the three that were there, they didn't tell anyone about this. We get to read about it here when it happened, but I wonder how long it took before they told the other apostles, before they started telling other followers. I'm very confident that they remembered this moment because I think we can see it reflected in their writing. If we look at John chapter 1, he says, The Word, who is Jesus, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this isn't the only time John talks about this image of Jesus. Second Peter, so Peter writing about this, and it seems to me, if you listen to this, it sounds like he is referring to this exact moment. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." Now, again, he, he quotes the voice of God, and we know that there's at least two times that God said this to Jesus in the presence of others. But he specifically mentions this holy mountain, that Peter, Peter's saying that we were eyewitnesses of this. I think he's talking about this exact event later on. But we can see that their, their faith was strengthened from this. And although they would still struggle 
to stay awake in the garden, to be there by Jesus' side when he was crucified. They would still have their moments. I think that this scene strengthened their faith. And that they were given this momentary glimpse of the glory that was promised not only to Jesus for his obedience, but to us as well. I don't know exactly what that is going to look like, but I have a feeling that Jesus showed us a picture of what our eternity with the Father will look like here on earth as it will be in heaven. And we see that Jesus is a, not only is Jesus glorified, but we see, as I mentioned, his, his authority is affirmed. We see that the law and the prophets are standing there confirming who Jesus is. We see that Jesus is greater than the law and the prophets. We hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And it's a reminder to the apostles and subsequently to us that we are to follow the commands of Jesus, that we are to love God, to love our neighbors, to spread the gospel. And so we need to be reminded, I think, by this moment that Jesus is our final authority, that no no one else can be who Jesus is, that we are shown His glory, that He is sent from the Father, that He is affirmed, and that we are called to listen to Him. And I think, you know, sometimes we, we put our faith, our trust, our authority, our sense of direction in other things, in other people, in other ideologies, and we look to guidance for other things rather than Jesus. But Jesus here as the exalted Son of God should be our primary directive, really the only directive in our life and for how we should live. And we're reminded in this moment through the telling of this story through, from the apostles that we worship the exalted King and that the apostles were able to witness this special event and share it with us. And I think about some of the the words that we've sung this morning. Above all, here I am to worship. And in a moment, behold our God. These are statements where we're acknowledging the glory and the authority of Jesus and that we're seeing the fullness of God in who Jesus is. And so as we approach Easter and we we get to take a special time to celebrate the the final moments of glory that Jesus experienced before the cross and before his death and resurrection, I want us to remember the transfiguration and remember the image of power that we see. Jesus on the cross, in human terms, is a moment of weakness. But in spiritual terms, it's a moment of power. And we see that in the transfiguration, I think, in just a different way. But I want us to be reminded of a few different things. In the first, oh, that's the next one. The first is that we see that Jesus reflects 
the glory of God. In his transfiguration, in his life, in those everyday moments, in his crucifixion, and in his resurrection. We see that Jesus is affirmed as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, both the one who perfectly demonstrated the righteousness of God that God desires and who demonstrates that he is the one who is promised to bring about salvation for God's people. And finally, that Jesus' authority is affirmed, and what that means for us is that we need to listen to him. And so what did Jesus say? He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily, and you, you need to follow me. That's what we are called to listen to. That's what we are called to apply to our life every day. And so, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's three things I want us to walk away asking or thinking about as we continue again to approach Easter and as we just reflect on this story. And the first is, what is your answer to that question that Jesus asked his apostles? He said, who do you say I am? I don't want to assume that everyone here has the same answer to that question right now. I'm, I'm sure that there are people who maybe they are still getting to know who Jesus is. And, but I want us to think about that, the answer to that question. What image comes to mind when we think about who is Jesus? Who do we say that Jesus is? Do we even say who Jesus is to anyone? Or do we just kind of keep it to ourselves? The second one is, who are you giving the power to save your life? You know, Jesus says that if we try to save our own life, we're just going to lose it. If we try to let some other person, some other ideology, some other way save our life, it will always fall short of the power of Jesus to do just that. And the third thing I want us to think about it's just that directive of will you deny yourself? Will you take up your cross? And will you follow him? And what does that look like for your life today and tomorrow and for the rest of our days? <clears throat> so I, hopefully I didn't really answer all of your questions about what is the transfiguration because I'm still not really sure I know. It's a very mysterious event, but what I do see is the glory of God in Jesus and His authority to rule over my life in that moment. And I hope that you'll see the same. Let's pray and then we'll continue in our worship. Jesus, we recognize that You are the Alpha and the Omega, that You are God with us that you are alive forevermore. And I pray this morning that we will humble ourselves before you, that we will deny ourselves, that we will take up our cross and follow you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Let's worship. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations.
tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Who has felt the nails upon his hand, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Savior, Behold our God, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. You Behold our God, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. Behold our God. Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. Lord, the light of your love shining in the midst of the darkness shining jesus light of the world shine upon us set us free by the truth you now bring us shine on me shine on me shine jesus shine Fill this land with 
We have come with open hearts. 
ancient words impart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. I am on today by the power and glory of Christ. But now it is time for us to remember. We came here for a memorial and now we should return to that thought. In thinking of memorials, I thought about we should go over some of them just as a setting us in the right manner. The Washington Monument, it uh, was, it took a long time to build. It, would, it took 40 years uh, until 1885 till they finally finished it because there was much political controversy even during those 40 years as they tried tried to build it. But of course, it honors George Washington, the father of this country. 
Abraham Lincoln's memorial. A wonderful statement for a man who was assassinated for his great ideas and his willingness to fight the Civil War in order to end slavery, a great sin. And now we have a memorial to Martin Luther King Jr., a gentleman who continued to fight, although he too was assassinated, but he fought bigotry. And we as Christians must always continue to fight that. Here's another one that some of you have been able to visit in Hawaii, the grave of the battleship Arizona, where there were 1,200 men, sailors and, and Marines who died there. Of course, throughout Hawaii that day, there were many people who died. But this is something that we come to honor. But what we're thinking about when we're thinking about memorials is I'd like to think about the goal that there should be an effective memorial, one that was accessible to people, one that is evocative of a deep meaning, and one that draws people to them. And so today, when I turn your attention to Jesus created his own memorial at the Last Supper when he said that they should remember him. It's interesting that only Paul and Luke remember his statement about remember him. But Matthew and John also talk about the establishment of this feast. This is another uh, shall we say, updated version of that uh, scene. The scene is fascinating if you study it because it, it, uh, by history it, it is told that it sets the scene when Jesus had announced that one of their number was going to betray him. And so they're very excited and they really don't know what is going to happen. But when we come to our memorial, it basically is just the simple bread and the simple water. But over time, many men have found different ways to remember this memorial. Here at, at Newburgh, it was most commonly found by a table being displayed with, with a trays of bread and juice. But today, we have been forced because of COVID to instead have a noisy paper sack. <laughs> and in that noisy paper fact, sack, we find a cup and in the cup, we will find the wafer and the juice. It is still remembered. 
the remembrance of Jesus. So it is now time to work on opening up and taking out that wafer. The bread. This is my body given for you. When we think about his body, I think we should remember that his body came from heaven and it came to this earth, a place that was not always comfortable, a place that sin existed, that he had to suffer because he came to this place. And of course, he suffered on the cross. So let us take this wafer in remembering his body. And now, let us remember the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God was interested in those Jewish people as them remembering. And so, whenever they had a sacrifice, there was blood. And the priest would sprinkle blood on the holy ark. And so Jesus gave his blood so that his new covenant would be effective. So let us remember this blood which was poured out for us. May God remember, may our memory here of Jesus be blessed by God. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
We'd like to thank everybody for being here today, especially any visitors that may have come in the door. You're especially welcome here. It's good to see everybody uh, that's here today and the, and the number of folks that we have uh, here with us. Uh, I only have, I have three announcements. Uh, one is that we've been hearing a lot about Kyle's teen mentoring class. Uh, that is gonna start April 1st. So if you have any comments or questions about that, you can see Kyle. Uh, Michael is also gonna start a new Harmony small group. So anything uh, dealing with that, you can go and see Michael about and he'll be glad to answer questions. And uh, Lorinda Dunning is overseeing some Easter eggs deliveries. So if you're in need of Easter eggs, you can see Lorinda about those. Uh, I just want to encourage everybody uh, this week to let God's glory be seen in you as you go about your weekly business. I appreciate Kyle's lesson today, and I hope that everybody here was encouraged. Let's stand together, and we'll close with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it's been good to be here this morning. It's good to be able to sing songs of praise, and it has been good to listen to uh, your words being taught to us. Father, we pray for the leadership of this church. We pray for the eldership. We ask for wisdom for them. Help them and guide them as they guide this church. Help us as, uh, to be obedient uh, followers. Help us to be attentive to what the elders are saying. And help us, Father, to uh, be mindful of what they're saying and put that to practice. Father, we are thankful for being reminded of God's glory and what that means to us. Sometimes it's hard to show that when we're out in the world, but I want to encourage everybody here to show God's glory in everything that they're doing as they go through their week and as they go to their jobs or whether it be at home, at the supermarket or wherever. Let's show God's glory. And this, these things, Father, we ask in your son's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you, everybody.